know, uh, about, oh, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago, I uh, took a, a, a short sabbatical, uh, and on that sabbatical, we visited uh, the church that I grew up in uh, as through most of my childhood, and then we visited the next week the church that Lisa grew up in for much of her childhood. Uh, and it was very interesting because both of those churches, you know, as, as different as can be, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic, Lisa grew up Presbyterian, and, you know, as different as could be, one thing that really stuck out to me as we visited those churches, that at one point in the service, everybody stood up and recited not, not the Nicene Creed, but the Apostles' Creed, by memory and with, I want to say force, but with conviction. And it was the same thing on both, both of those very different streams of the church, very different traditions and backgrounds. They both stood up and recited it by memory and I you know and with conviction and that made an impression on me um, so I, I, I think reciting the creeds is is good and since we're doing a series on who is Jesus that's why I chose the Nicene Creed for this and I think it's good to to um, to recite it to become familiar with it. let me let me let me ask something how many here is anybody, before we started this series and started reciting it, I think we've done it before too, but before, before this, had, we're, we're totally unfamiliar with the Nicene Creed. Anybody? Unfamiliar. Okay. Okay. It's not, we don't teach as much on the creeds anymore, and, you know, we should, but not the Nicene Creed. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what most people are. Most people will be familiar with the Apostles. Not as many than I've seen, and this is really, those two are the two, mo there are other creeds too, but those two are the two most important. And this came about to, to correct some error on who is Jesus. And that's, the, uh, that's the, the question of this series, as prompted by uh, Scripture in Matthew 16, when says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And that question is crucial. It's the one question, as we've said before, that is, you know, Every single one of us one day will have to answer, and everything hinges on the answer to that question. Not that just that we get the words right. It's, it's, it's like, who is Jesus to us? That we, that, that we get that right. Who is he to us? And that's why we're spending several weeks on this series. In the first week, we talked about the fact that he is the eternal word of God. He existed from eternity past and existed, it will exist into all of eternity future. Jesus is eternal. He existed as the Word and will always exist into the future. 
it's not like one day Mary had a baby and all of a sudden, boom, this second person in the Trinity was, you know, came into being. That he, 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 he took on humanity at that point. But he existed as the Word uh, and tells us that in the beginning of John's Gospel, existed as the Word into all eternity past. When we look at the Word in the beginning, that word in the Greek, beginning, that word arche, means in the forever past. You'll go back as far as you possibly can and then some. And the Word of God existed with God and John tells us was God. Now, in week two, last week, we looked at Jesus as the Son of Man. This was Jesus' favorite title for himself. He referred to himself as the Son of Man 78 times in the Gospels. Taking the reference from uh, some verses in Daniel chapter 7. And this verse, or this title, the Son of Man, points to both his humanity and his deity, because as we saw as we looked at Daniel 7, that this human being, this man that came into the picture then in, the, in this vision of Daniel, he was a man, but he was also more than a man. So he, he was, the, the term son of man means he's more than just a man. He's fully God. He's also fully man. So it refers to, to both. Anything less than that, and we're not talking about the Jesus of Scripture. If we're just talking about some good teacher, some cool guy, some miracle worker, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Was he all those things? Yes, but he was also so much, so much more than that. So today we're going to look at Peter's response to this question. When Jesus asked the disciples, he, he, you know, he asked, you know, who do people say that I am? Well, some say Elijah, one of the prophets, you know, this and that. He goes, okay, but now, who do you say that I am? He asked that, and Peter, as a spokesman, spoke up, and he said, you are the Messiah, or, or some translations say Christ. It's the same word. It's the same word. It means the anointed one. The word Christ is just Greek for the Messiah. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Today we're going to look at Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was called the Son of God numerous times all throughout the New Testament. We're going to start with some of those. We're going to look at places in Scripture where Jesus is called the Son of God, and we're going to look at who is it that's calling him that. And first off, we are going to start by looking at the Father, the, what the, how the Father called him the Son of God. One place we see this is at his baptism. In Matthew 3, verse, starting in verse 16, says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, okay, so John the Baptist is there, Jesus in the water. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending, upon, descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. 
with him I'm well pleased. I want to just point out here real briefly that here is an instance where we see all three persons of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, all three president, president, present at this. <laughs> that's who we need to elect as president. All <laughs> Jesus for president. There's a book out by that title, by the way, Jesus for president. All three present and accounted for at Jesus' baptism. They are not identical. They are one, but they are not identical. You have Jesus in the water being baptized. You have the Father speaking from heaven. The voice comes from heaven. Jesus did not get into ventriloquism. Okay? It was the Father that was speaking from heaven. And then you have the Holy Spirit descending visibly as a dove. or in a form of a dove on him. So you've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all at once. It's, a, it's a, a, a reference to the Trinity or the triune Godhead. We need, to, we need to realize that. It wasn't that, you know, before Jesus came uh, that he was God in heaven and then when God is on earth, he's Jesus. And then now that he's descended back into heaven, now he's the Holy Spirit, that first he's one, then the... No, that's, that, that was dealt with early on in the church. That, that is wrong. It's a wrong conception of who God is. God is a triune God. He is three persons, not bodies, but three persons, one God. Now, if that blows your mind, welcome to the club. It's part of the mystery of God. There is so much about God that we will not be able to understand. Uh, and, and that is one of the things. But the, the Scripture, and I wasn't planning on going into this, but what the Scripture talks about, you know, there are times the Scripture talks about this person called the Father. There's times the Scripture talks about this person called the Son, and there's times the Scripture talks about this person called the Holy Spirit. And is, he is a person. He is not an it. He is not a, um, a force uh, or an idea or a concept. He is a person. There are two places in the King James Bible where it talks, where it refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. In Romans chapter 8. They're both in Romans 8. And it's a mistranslation. It is a wrong translation, and other translations have all corrected that. So, uh, so, and then, but the scripture at the same time as you have these three also makes it very clear there is only one true God. Only one. A lot of false gods, but there's only one true God. So, how is that? Within the nature of of God, there are three eternal and co-equal persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Okay, we need to get our minds around that. And even though it blows our minds, that's one of the things we take by accept by faith because the Scripture does, it doesn't use the word Trinity, but it does make it very clear in different places that, you know, when Jesus is praying, is he talking to himself? No. 
when the Father's talking from, from heaven, you know, at a Jesus' baptism, it's the Father. It's not Jesus speaking. It's the Father, and both are there at the same time. Okay, so um, the Father says, This is my Son with whom, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So according to the Father, Jesus is the Son of God. We see the same thing at the transfiguration. Remember when Jesus chose three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, led them up a mountain, and suddenly Jesus just starts, he's transformed between their very eyes. He starts, he starts uh, uh, just radiating light from his being. He starts glowing. He's just... He, 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 he just starts radiating light from his being. His clothes become as, you know, whiter than even Tide can get them, you know, even Tide with bleach, you know. It's, he's just, he's totally transfigured before them. And then all of a sudden Moses and Elijah show up and they're talking to Jesus and, you know, the disciples are like, you know, like that, and Peter starts running off at the mouth in, in, in a bit, but, um, you know, but then we read in verse 5, he says, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was speaking to, to, uh, to, to Moses and Elijah, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Once again, we see that the Father in heaven is interacting with the Son on the mountaintop. He says, this is my Son, whom I love, with I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He gives Jesus that affirmation, calls him his Son, and tells us to listen. So that's twice now that we have the Father affirming Jesus as his Son. We also have instances where we have various people recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's go through a few of those. First, we already talked about Peter calls Jesus the Son of God. When he says in Matthew 16, 16, you're the Messiah or you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the, son of the living God, you know, uh, in response to Jesus' question. So we have Peter saying that. And the reason he could say that is because God had revealed it to him. The Father had revealed it to Peter. How he revealed that, I don't know but he revealed it to him. He, Peter did not figure this out on his own. And then we see that Nathanael calls Jesus the Son of God. Okay, remember when Philip met Jesus, he went to get his friend Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses and the prophets uh, spoke about. We've been waiting all this time. The one that we've been waiting for, we found him. He's here. And with, when Nathaniel heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he was a bit skeptical. He kind of scoffed. Nazareth was not very well thought of. It was pretty much an object of, of scorn by most people, if not everyone. So, you know, he didn't think much about it when Philip said, Hey, we found the Messiah, and he's from Nazareth. <laughs> yeah, right. Tell me another one. You know, kind of was Nathaniel's response. And and, and, you know, so Philip said to him, just come and see, come and see. And this brings to mind Psalm 34, 8, that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. See for yourself. You don't believe me? Come and see for yourself. So Nathaniel went with Philip. And we pick up that story in John 1, 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, 
He said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now they'd never met before, but Jesus sees him and says, here's truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel said, how, how, how do you know me? You know, and Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. There was no way in the natural that Jesus would have known about Nathaniel, first of all, being an Israelite in whom there was no guile or no deceit, and secondly, that he was sitting under the fig tree before Philip went to get him. There was no way. He knew it by divine revelation, word of knowledge, by the Holy Spirit. It was divine revelation. Just like another time we see divine revelation is when the Samaritan woman is at the, ma- the, the well and Jesus you know, meets her and they start talking and he tells her all about her past. It was div- by divine revelation and the result was it changed her life. Her life was changed from that moment. In fact, her name was Fotina. History tells us that. Her name was Fotina, or in Russian it would be Svetlana. I just found that out. I thought that's interesting. Svetlana, if, if she was Russian. But, but after Christ's resurrection, she went on then to preach all throughout Asia Minor until she was ultimately martyred. She also had five daughters and two sons, all of whom were martyred, gave their lives for Jesus. So just a little interesting tidbit from history. But both those times, you know, are instances of where, where Jesus knew something by divine revelation. So back to Philip. When by divine revelation, Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I mean, that was enough for Philip. Philip, or for Nathaniel, I mean. The Nathaniel, he, he, he responded back, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathaniel recognized Jesus was the Son of God. Peter and Nathaniel weren't the only ones. Eventually, the other disciples recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. The disciples called Jesus Son of God in Matthew 14 when they, when they were in the, all in a boat together and they're fighting a storm. All of a sudden, Jesus comes walking across the lake on top of the water, you know, and, and, and he walks out to meet him. And, you know, Peter ends up climbing out of the boat, going out to meet him, starts getting in trouble because he took his eyes off Jesus and, and put them on the storm instead. And Jesus reached out and saved him after he cried out to him. And, and then they walked back to the boat together. And then starting in verse 32, it says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then we have verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they saw that, when they saw not only Jesus walking on the water, not only him enabling Peter to walk on the water, but then the, 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 the storm just quieting down as soon as Jesus gets in the boat. If you're going through a storm right now, this has nothing to do with the message, but if you're going through a storm right now, if you're going through some difficulty, invite Jesus into the boat with you. All right. Um, One more person I want to point out, 
and that is the Roman centurion when Jesus was crucified. The centurion at the cross calls Jesus the Son of God. Jesus is there hanging on the cross, arms spread out, you know, hands and, and feet nailed to the cross, and he cries out, and then in Mark 15, 35, we read, and when some of the bystanders heard him, they began saying, look, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There is so much in this. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw that he died in this way, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Before we go any further, I just want to take a side note. Um, point something out. Would you put up the picture, Laura? Does anybody recognize this picture? Let me give you a hint. Susie took this picture when she was in Israel. All the women that were with her were instructed to line up and sit down on those rocks, only between the rocks. That's a public outhouse where they would go and relieve themselves. Okay. You would sit down. Not very much of a Sunday morning topic, but you would sit down, do your business, and a servant would come by with a bucket and a sponge on a stick. The sponge, they give you the sponge, and the sponge was used to clean yourself. And then it was given back to the servant, and would wring it out and put it back in the bucket and hand it to the next person. So you wanted to be at the front end of that, okay? The sponge on a stick was called a tersorium. I want to back up a little bit. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. That's the sponge that they dipped in the sour wine and stuck in Jesus' face to drink. It was one more way to publicly humiliate Jesus. When we say Jesus was crucified, there's a whole lot more to it than the nails in his hands and his feet. He was totally naked, the only thing he was wearing was a crown of thorns. And he had that sponge stuck in his face. I will never be able to read that again without that image 
without thinking of that and with realizing that that is all part of what we just say when we say he was crucified. That was all a part of it. And he did that for me. He did that for you. When back to the centurion, when the centurion saw all of this happen, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So the father calls Jesus his son. Various people recognize Jesus as the son of God. And third, even demons recognize Jesus as the son of God. In Matthew 8, 28, when he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men come out from the tombs and met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They know there's an appointed time. said, what do you want with us, son of God? Then another time, Luke tells us in, in, in Luke 4, verse 41, demons were coming out of many, and as they're coming out, they're shouting, you are the son of God, and yet he was rebuking them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. They knew he was the Son of God, the Messiah. They knew who he was. And a number of times throughout Jesus' ministry, the demons would call out and refer to him as the Son of God. So what does this mean? What does it mean that he's the Son of God? Well, one, it means equality with the Father. Jesus is equal with the Father. You know, what's interesting in all of this is that while even the demons knew that Jesus was the Son of God and, you know, several people did and the Father, you know, said it, the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, for the most part, they denied it. There were a few exceptions, but for the most part, they denied it. John 5.18 says, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. They knew that for him to say, God is my Father, they knew that he was, making, that he was claiming equality with God, with the Father. In other words, you know, some people say, well, it says he's the son of God. It doesn't say he's God the son. Same thing. It's the same thing. Because be, to be, for Jesus to claim to be the son of God, he was claiming to be God. Equality with the Father. They refused to accept that Jesus was God. Second thing. Have you ever wondered what God was like? You ever want to know what is God like? What is he really like? All you have to do is look at Jesus. John 14, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
how can you say, show us the Father? Okay, it's not saying there's no distinction between the two, but it's saying that Jesus is exactly like the Father. So if you see him, you've seen, you, you know, it's as good as seeing the Father. And the reason Jesus said this is because of what we read in Hebrews 1.3. says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Exact representation of his meaning, uh, of his being, not just looks like him, but completely, totally represents him, represents, and his, his, his part of, of the very substance of the Father, the very nature of the Father. All we have to do to know what God is like is look at Jesus. He doesn't just resemble God. He is the exact representation, or some translations say the express image. Like when a seal is stamped on wax, an old seal of a letter or a document is stamped on wax, it leaves an exact impression. So, since that's who Jesus is, the Son of God, how do you think we should respond to him? Well, I think a good place to start would be go back to what the Father said at the Mount of Transfiguration, where he said, this is my Son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Open our ears to what he is saying. Open our eyes to what he is doing. Jesus is the only one who has the right to say how we should live our lives. It's his opinion that matters because his opinions aren't just opinions. They're truth. If God sent his very son to pursue a relationship with us, then I say let's make having a relationship with him the pursuit of our lives and go after it with everything that we've got. Not just something added in on the side, oh yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I do this, I go to church, I read my Bible, I do this. If we're just doing those things to do them, then we're missing something. But if we're pursuing the person of Jesus, that's what we want. That's what we want. All those things, you know, going to church, reading our Bible, praying, all those things are things that we do to pursue the person. So let's pursue an encounter with Jesus and let's invite others into the same. Like Philip told Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. Forget about whether he's from Nazareth. This is the guy. He's the real deal. He's really it. Come and see. In every way possible, let's help others come and see. Let's help others encounter Jesus. Have an encounter with him. Whether it's, you know, handing someone a cold bottle of water on a hot summer day 
or is listening to someone tell the pain in their uh, tell of the pain that's in their life and and praying for them or going out of a limb and thinking, you know, I'm going to look foolish doing this, but going ahead and doing it anyway and asking you to pray for someone that you that 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 is sick or that needs healing, a friend or a total stranger. We need to encounter the son of God and make ourselves available for him to use us to help others do the same. So let's listen to him and let's invite others come and see. Jesus is the divine son of God. Anything less, and he's not the Jesus of the Bible. Anything less, and he's not the Jesus we want to follow. Let's stand. Father, I pray that the reality of the things that we've talked about today would sink deep into us. The truths as well as the implications on our lives. And whatever it is you're wanting to speak to us through this, Lord, our hearts and ears are open. Keep bringing it back to us and keep taking it deeper. Let your presence go with us. We want to hear your voice continually in our ears, directing our steps, putting words in our mouth, using our hands and our feet. We want to know the Son of God more and in a greater way than anything we've known before, any way we've known before. In Jesus' name. Now let's hold your hand out for the benediction. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, May give you the may he give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know Jesus better. So that you may know the word of God better. So that you may know the Son of Man better. So that you may know the Son of God better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a great time at the outreach.